Hey Fellowship Rogers, as you may have heard, on May 30th, we are updating our mask policy. So as of May 30th, we will move to a mask optional policy for our Sunday morning worship gatherings. This is in accordance with the CDC guidelines and the City of Rogers, which has lifted their mask mandate. The policy will cover students grades seven or age 12, all the way through adults. We'll still ask our children and our children's ministry workers to wear masks until we receive further guidance. Hey, if you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, by all means do so, and we will honor that. Also, the best option for social distancing will be at our eight o'clock service or in our overflow room. You'll start to see our normal rhythms of Sunday morning worship resume, like we'll be serving coffee in the foyer, we'll be passing the offering plates, and soon we'll move away from the prepackaged communion elements. Hey, I just want to say thank you for complying with the leadership of fellowship as the elders have guided us through this pandemic, and we look forward to seeing you. It's time to gather fellowship shoulder to shoulder in worship and face-to-face -face in a small group. We love you. We'll see you this week. Good morning. It's great seeing all your lovely faces. Oh, this is so good. Welcome to Fellowship. We're so delighted to worship with you this morning. And hey, if you are new, if you're visiting or just getting to know us, we would like to get to know you in a more personal way. So I'm going to give you a few options to do that. Um, one, if you're a particularly gregarious and outgoing person, just reach down the aisle. They're less far away than they used to be and elbow somebody and say, hey, I want to meet someone around here, and someone I'm sure will be really warm and inviting and a little confused and happy to do that. Um, if that feels a little too risky to you, a couple other options. One, we'd love to connect with you in the info booth out in the foyer um, and just, just get, get your name and face and help you get plugged in. Or you can do the digital option, and, uh, and you can scan the QR code and reach out. Somebody will connect, to you this week, uh, connect with you this week and help you get plugged in here at Fellowship. Hey, it's Memorial Day weekend, and, and part of what that is is it's a chance for, for our country to just remember and honor those who died in service to this country. So we, we know that there are people in this room personally affected by that loss, and all of us uh, corporately in one way or another. So we want to just take a moment, a moment of silence and quiet uh, to remember those that we've lost. Lord, we grieve, but we also grieve with gratitude. And, uh, and so we, we hand that gratitude and that honor um, to you together as a body um, for these people who have served us um, to the point of death. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as things around here are ramping back up, you're going to see a lot of opportunities to engage and get connected. We want to tell you about, first of all, we're in a Hebrew series this summer, um, and we still have Hebrew study guide books out in the foyer. We want to invite you to jump in on that. It's going to be a great way to give you some guidance and structure through studying the Word this summer. So in that book, you're going to find daily reading plans and study guides, and then also a chance to have some summaries for what we're doing here on Sunday morning. Those books are $5 out in the foyer in print, or you can download a free PDF online. I invite you to use Use that as a guide to engage Hebrews with us this summer. 
We also, another way to connect, we have a Young Professionals Worship Night coming up next Sunday night at 6.30. We invite you, if you want to just connect with some people that are in that same phase of life with you, learning how to adult well, as I'm still doing, we invite you to come and connect with us next, next Sunday night at 6.30. If, uh, if you're wondering what a young professional is, if you think you're a young professional, come on, that counts. So come on in. We'd be excited to connect with you there. Um, Finally, I want to tell you about an opportunity that I'm really thrilled about this summer. One of, I work with the training center, and our mission is to prepare and equip the people of this body to follow God and to serve God in ministry. And so we have all these different training opportunities. We have a special one this summer. Terry Weedle spent, he and his wife spent three decades in Southeast Asia serving the Lord there, first as missionary church planters and then teaching at a Bible school to train missionary church planters in Southeast Asia. And now we have them here in Northwest Arkansas. And so we have the opportunity this summer for Terry to walk us through how to open the Bible and study the Word of God and, and to make sense of what's, what's in front of us so that we can hear God speak through the Word and apply it in our own personal life. So it's a six-week study on personal Bible study that you can jump in on starting next week. I want to invite you. Uh, you can scan the code or you can go to trainingcenternwa.org and get signed up for that class. It's a really incredible opportunity. Fellowship. Let's go to the Lord together, shall we? Lord, we love you, and uh, it is our desire to honor you in everything we do. And so this morning, we want to worship you. We want to encounter you. We want to see you for who you are and respond appropriately. We offer this time to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, fellowship. Would you stand and sing with me as we worship? You are with me in this moment You have led me to this place And though the darkness around me closes I will hold to hope by faith Come on, let's sing that again You are with me in this moment have led me to this place, and though the darkness round me closes, I will hold to hope by faith. Sing of his love. Your love never let me go, never let me go, your goodness is steadfast love that never lets me go you never let me go your goodness is steadfast
are with me in this moment And you have led me to this place And though the darkness round me closes I will hold to hope by faith
you guys please be seated? Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. So come and let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation, and I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest.
stand and declare these words with us. blessing that is that we sinful people on this earth people who have rebelled against you and betrayed you can look and hold on to your promise that you would give us peace and rest regardless of what comes Jesus that is a blessing we do not deserve so Father I pray that your spirit would, would open our hearts and our minds to receive this word today that we would learn what true rest looks like what humble faith can do for souls that are struggling and need you. Jesus, be with Hunter as he teaches. It would be your words, not his. But every word that he has to say falls short. Every word you have to say resonate powerfully and mightily within us. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. Amen. You guys can be seated. It's 2 a.m. at our house. We wake up to the creaking of our door and our one-year-old climbing into our bed. It is his firm belief that 2 a.m. is the optimal time to play. After five trips back to his room, which by the way is our closet because we're in a two-bedroom, we give up and just let him play. Okay, four hours later, we wake up 
Pure exhaustion, wake up Hank for kindergarten, backpack, supplies, snacks, water, mask, feed him breakfast, take a quick shower, come back to find breakfast is mysteriously on the floor. How did that get there? I don't know. Clean up breakfast, crack open the Bible, read a psalm, throw on a worship song while I get him dressed for 7 a.m. drop off. Where's his mask? I don't know. 30 seconds in the car, we're going to find a time to pray. Quick call to Alex to make sure that she's doing okay after no sleep. Head to airship. I've got 15 minutes to check emails and respond to parents, students, and leaders before my meeting starts. Coffee appointment shows up early. There went that 15 minutes. Meeting lasts two hours. It's really good, but turns out he got a job in another state, so I'm in need of a new cell leader. Who am I going to get to replace him? All right. Can't think about that. Got to get to work. Four teachings coming up. Which one do I open first? Let's go with Hebrews 4. Just as I get ready to read it, the email comes in. There's a problem. Got to call and talk to a staff member, which leads to two other phone calls to really serve and check in on this family well. Next time I look at my watch, I've got 30 minutes till lunch is happening, and I'm meeting with another leader. Okay, 30 minutes of teaching prep, and all I realize in that time is how behind I actually am. Lunch goes well. Leaders equipped. Ministry's happening. But now we have a a long-term worship planning meeting. Oh, shoot. It's my turn to tell my story. So I have to remember, how has God changed my life? Tell everybody for 30 minutes. Really, all I'm thinking about is, I hope he miraculously preps this teaching for me. Someone says, hey, you got five minutes after the meeting? I'm like, sure. That turns into an hour. I finally go open my email for the first time of the day. I have 45 people I need to respond to. So there goes an hour and a half. I look at the clock. It's 4.30. I told Hank I'd be home to ride bikes before dinner, so I tell Alex, hey, I'm on my way, just running a little bit late, get home, throw the bikes in the truck, take my son on a ride, come back. It's my turn to own dinner, forgot about that. Guess we're having pizza. Order pizza, sit down, eat a few slices, watch the news, and then all of a sudden the boys start fighting. Okay, so I go take one of the boys on a walk around the block, have a dad moment, talk about what it's like to honor your brother, feel really good about it, go back inside. Five minutes later, they're in another fight, At this point, it's like, let's just brush their teeth, get them to bed as fast as possible. So we do that. I realize I haven't talked to my wife all day. We get 15 minutes of seeing how she's actually doing. Get a call that, oh, the TV's out at the rental. Sorry, babe, gotta go. Go repair that. Come home an hour later. Alex is asleep. I sit on the couch wondering, what in the world did I do today? Lay in bed, restless, for 45 minutes going, okay, here are all the things that I have to do tomorrow finally fall asleep, rest. Four hours later, dad, dad? (laughs) Round two, here we go. I can't assume to know what's going on in your life, but does any of that sound familiar for you and your family? My fear is that we've had a little bit of a slower pace for the last 15 months. And as the the world is forcing us to reintegrate back into a faster pace, something's going to have to give. We're not used to it. And my fear for myself is that that is going to be spiritual apathy. And that the first thing to go is going to be my spiritual life. And I start trading the things that are important for what seems urgent and immediate. I need to travel. I need my weekends. I need to be alone. Work is making me come in in person. What is that? I don't do that anymore. We are going to have to learn to find rest in a world that just feels like this restless. We got to learn to find rest in a restless world. Due to the pace of our world, the connectivity of technology, we rest less than we ever have, and we're more restless than we've ever 
been. And this is not a new concept. You go back to the fall of man, two things that we know are certain since the fall is that the world has been restless, yet humanity has longed to find rest every single day. It's something we desire every day, yet it eludes us so often. We have access to everyone and everything, 24 hours a day, living in a constant state of anxiousness, fear, addiction, drawing us away from the source of life and leading us slowly to burnout. We sleep, we disconnect, but do we truly rest? We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 today. We'll be skipping around uh, quite a bit. And I want us to answer what is rest and how do we find it? Now, Hebrews is my absolute favorite book of the Bible, hands down. And I get really annoyed when teachers are like, oh, Hebrews is so complex and difficult to teach. Well, as I've been studying, I've realized Hebrews is so complex and difficult to teach. And you're going to see that from the very beginning. We're going to get to chapter four quite a bit, but just look at chapters two, three, and four and just the barrage of therefores. If you know anything about study, therefore is going to connect two ideas together. And so what we see is there's just this constant train of thought where the author is just building this argument over and over. And so it's really hard to zoom in and understand a certain text because it's all connected. So to give you some context, what has happened is after comparing Christ and Moses and showing that Christ is superior over Moses and all others, the writer's now going to compare their followers, the Israelites and the new believers that this was written to. And he proclaims the superiority of Jesus, but says, if you don't believe that and accept that, what good news is that to you? How will you ever experience rest without believing that to be true? So we get to this therefore in Hebrews chapter four, verse 11, and it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now, what is this rest that he's going to be talking about for basically a chapter and a half? Rest, according to scripture, is much more complex than just physically stopping. It's way bigger than that. And I am hardwired to think about rest in the future, right? I'll rest when I get the next job, when I get to the next stage of life, when I retire, when I get to that next vacation, fill in the blank. Even theologically from an early age, I believed that rest was all about eternal life, that that that's what Christ died for, was just for eternity. Now, did he? Absolutely. But there's got to be more than that. If Christ is who he says he is and has done what he said he did, then surely there's a rest to experience here and now. And I truly believe that rest in Scripture as a whole, and even in parts of this, is this now but not yet experience. That God has given us a way to rest, but man, it is just a foretaste of what is to come. And we don't want to miss either. And this passage warns us about that. So as we talk about rest, I want you to think through these three facts. Here's the first one we're going to cover. Rest is a vital part of God's story from the beginning. It's been there from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden in Genesis, all the way to new heavens and new earth in Revelation. We see this theme of rest that God offers You see, in Genesis chapter 2, part of the creation story, that chapter 2, verse 2 says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God himself establishes rest as part of the rhythm of life and invites us into it. Now notice when this is happening. This is before the fall. Mark Schatzman was up a few weeks ago and taught on a biblical vision of work. Uh, If you have not listened to that, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It challenged me. And I heard from about five or six different people that said the aha moment for them was that work was something that existed before the fall. It wasn't a result of sin. Guess what? So is rest. Rest is not a product of creation. It's a part of it. It's not something that we have to do because of the fall. It's something that we need because we're created in the image of God. And because of this, because it's something we were created to do in our best, not just in our worst, it is a deep craving for all humanity. I guarantee you every one of you in here wants to rest at some point today. We want it. But cravings make us do really weird things. I have a sweet tooth. I love sweets. I won't buy an appetizer, but I'll spend way too much money on desserts. Alex and I got away to Kansas City this last weekend, and you know what I came home with? Drum roll, $45 worth of milk. (laughs) Just milk. You may be going, why? Well, because it's cotton candy flavored, and cookies and cream flavored, and coffee flavored, and why wouldn't you? I couldn't stop. I just couldn't. Now, I would assume not everyone in here has a craving for milk like this. If you don't, God bless you. I envy you. But every one of us has a deep desire and a craving to find rest, whether we realize it or not. And when we crave, we grasp at anything we can to satisfy that craving. For rest, we'll look to vacation, dessert, alcohol, television, sleep, movies, fill in the blank to satisfy that need. But Hebrews reveals very quickly that yes, that is a need that we have and a desire that we have, but it can only be satisfied in one place, in the creator of rest himself. When the writer goes back and quotes Psalm 95, he references this section of that passage a couple of times. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter, whose rest? My rest. It's God's. It's his that he created. It's his that he experiences from the beginning and invites us in to experience. And as created beings, if we want to rest, we have to realize that that ultimate rest can only be satisfied in our creator. You read the Psalms and you see this desire. There's a longing for rest. How long, O Lord? Where are you, God? Rescue us. Restore us. We want peace. We want rest want to be in your presence. And there's just something about rest that can only be satisfied and accessed through God. But this is where it gets really complicated, okay? Because point number two, rest comes in various forms. And sometimes it's hard to understand what is the writer of scripture in this particular place speaking on. I'll be honest, uh, I have had a couple of different views over the last few weeks of what the writer in Hebrews is actually talking about. I'm not going to necessarily land on one of them because I see a lot that he could be doing in here, but I want to go through the different ones and show you some flavors of where we might see those. The first type of rest is this Sabbath rest. We we see the Sabbath mentioned a couple of times in chapter 4, and you may be going, Sabbath, isn't that like 
Old Testament law, like 24 hours of solitary confinement where I don't eat or see anyone. It's like, no. And, and we can get intimidated by that, but what is this Sabbath rest? Well, we looked at Genesis chapter two and we see that God himself, himself establishes rest from the beginning, establishes it as a rhythm and creates the space that he invites his people to experience and incorporate rest into our own rhythms. Now, we have three children at home, six years and younger. Rest is elusive, okay? It, it does not feel like it's natural. It feels like a commodity. Like, I want to trade two sheep and an oar for one hour of sleep. Like, give me something dying over here. And to be honest, what I want to do right now is spend the next 45 minutes talking about modern-day Sabbath and how we can work rest rhythms into our everyday life. And if I did that, I would not be teaching this passage with integrity, okay? But can I go there for one minute? Two max. We good? Why do we Sabbath? Why should we Sabbath? Well, rest on this earth, rhythmic times of stopping, Sabbathing. It's not an excuse to be lazy. It's a necessity to be healthy, that it's needed, that we need to disconnect from this world and build our faith more in who Jesus is and fix our eyes intentionally on him. Because the more that we just look around and compare ourselves and try to keep up with the Joneses, the more exhausted we'll become. I feel it. I live in Bentonville. I have a six-year-old and he's not in travel ball yet. Like we are way behind, we're years behind. All my friends, you know, getting promotions, raises, it's like, maybe I just need to work harder. We have some friends that just took a vacation to Cabo, and I'm here buying four tickets to the Bald Knobbers in Branson. Like, <laughs> I didn't, but if it's a good show, let me know. I do like Branson. But we've got to take our eyes off of everyone else and get some healthy rhythms in our lives to refocus our attention on who God is. Rick Warren encourages this for believers. He says that we should learn to divert, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. That every day there should be some times where we look away and look to the Lord in his word and prayer and worship, fixing our eyes on him. And then weekly, we've got to learn to actually withdraw for a healthy season. And then ab abandon annually and really just get away. And have these rhythms in our life where we can build our faith more in Jesus to experience the rest that he has for us. God created this rest in the beginning, created this Sabbath rest, invites us into it, a state of peace and relationship with him. And it sets the standard for all future rest that he gives. Which, number two that we see in scripture is this idea of land rest. Now, the quoting of Psalm 95 that you see here from the Old Testament it refers us back to the story of the Israelites after they had come out of Egypt, before they go into the promised land. We just studied this in Joshua, right, not too long ago. And if you remember, God's people, including Moses, disobeyed God and didn't have the full faith needed to trust that he would actually conquer the promised land on their behalf. They were scared. And so that whole generation outside of two people, Joshua and Caleb, was not allowed to enter that rest, to enter that land. And this land rest for them was a promise of no enemies, peace from war, no fear of being attacked, having a place where food would grow freely. It was safety. And that, that promise of rest still stands, I think, for God's people. And we'll get to experience 
that type of rest in the new heavens and new earth. But I think if we're not careful, we might look at the Israelites and go, oh, why did you doubt? Like, how did you miss that? You had God walking with you, providing you food, guiding your path, appearing in a cloud, speaking in, a, in fire. What were you thinking? And I think they might look at us and go, but you saw the hope fulfilled. The thing we've longed for, you've seen in the Messiah Christ. Resurrection, defeat of death, the Holy Spirit living in you. Are you kidding me? We would have loved that. You know the end of the story we never saw. How could you doubt in God's rest that he offers? And what I would say is that in whatever way God has revealed himself up until that point in history, whatever rest he offers for his people, every generation has the option to trust or to doubt him. And when you compare these two generations a little more specifically, uh, we see that there are some similarities between the Israelites and the believers that Hebrews is being written to. That the Israelites had received deliverance from Egypt and that the church, these new believers, had received deliverance from sin and death. The Israelites had a covenant with Yahweh. They could trust him. His word was good. The church, we have this new covenant with Christ where he teaches us to live differently in this world. And then the Israelites had this hope of entering the promised land, and we have the hope of entering eternity. And it seems that the writer is making this comparison between these two generations because the believers receiving this letter were beginning to emulate the self-destructive behaviors of their ancestors. That they had received this good news, but they began to doubt. And they turned back and go, I wonder if the old way really is better. But their rest, just like their ancestors, depended on were they willing to trust God? Both of these come down to faith in God. Will you believe that he is who he says he is? We'll get back to that in a minute. But third rest, we see salvation rest. And for us as modern day believers, this one is very, very important. The author speaks of this current rest using the word today multiple times, talking about a decision that's able to be made today. And verse two here shows us that there's good news for the present people. Just as good news came to them, the message they heard, though, did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. But we have good news today. What is the good news that the Hebrews receiving this letter had received? It's that Christ is the Messiah, that he has provided salvation. Do not run away from that. That is going to end poorly. That Christ provides hope, peace, joy, love, satisfaction to be experienced when you rest in the good news that he is Lord and has conquered sin and death on your behalf, paving a way for believers to experience a personal relationship with God, to know him personally. And it was only accomplished and available through the cross. And it is a present rest that when we put our faith in Christ, we receive on this earth. And the experience of rest, this one, doesn't hinge on whether or not it's true. It hinges on whether or not we believe it to be true. It is true. And it's offered today to all who believe. And it's connected closely to eternal rest because this, this salvation rest offers present hope and this eternal rest offers future hope, a rest that is promised for us. The, the writer emphasizes that if what we are presently experiencing, he, he's referring back to the Israelites specifically here, if what they had presently experienced was it, 
God wouldn't have talked about this rest that is to come, this future rest. And this eternal rest that we will have access to one day for God's people who trust in Christ's work on the cross, man, it's gonna be good. What a glorious day that will be when sin really will be gone, when God's word will be fulfilled that every tear will be wiped away. And we will be resting in the presence of God in the new heaven and new earth. For us, this temporary rest seems like the thing we need most, but it's only part of it. God has an eternal rest, an inheritance far greater than we could ever imagine. And I truly believe that our rest is a now, but not yet type of rest. That there is something to experience here, and it's so good, but God has so much better planned. Now, we could talk about the different types of rest and try to identify which one is he speaking on and all that, but eventually, we need to know, no matter which one it is, how do we experience it? How do we experience rest? It's got to move from theoretical to reality. Uh, Three months ago, my family had a theoretical problem. We thought we smelled sewage gas in our house, but we could not figure out where it was coming from. And so we literally spent months like hound dogs just sniffing around our house in every crack trying to figure out where is this coming from? Oh, we smell it when we wash clothes. No, when we run the dishwasher. No, it's when it's day. No, it happens at night, actually. And we just did this for a long time till finally my search led me to the main line outside of our house. And turns out our main sewage line had cracked in the freeze and for three months, Sewage gas had been creeping behind our brick, under our siding, out through our kitchen cabinet, and filling our house. And most of me was like, I got three boys. Surely that's what the smell is, right? (laughs) But it, it turns out, no, there was sewer gas everywhere, and it was awful. I had to break open the brick wall, find the source, before I could ever do anything about it. Now, we can talk about rest and throw out these theories of what it is, but eventually, we have to figure out where is the source of that rest and go there to figure out how to experience it. And our ability to experience rest on this earth and eternity hinges on faith in Yahweh and Jesus. Not our works, but on our faith in who he is. And it's for those who believe. We see that very clearly uh, in chapter four, verse three at the beginning. This good news, this rest that's being talked about, who is it for? Well, for we who have believed enter that rest. It's a matter of trust and belief that gives us access. That's always been the case. Adam and Eve, will you believe that God's word is true over that of the serpent? Moses, Israel, will you believe that God can actually conquer this land? Disciples, will you believe that Christ has risen from the dead? Hebrews, will you believe that Christ has fulfilled the old law. Fellowship. Will you believe that Christ is enough and is worthy of your full devotion? See, this good news for us today is special in that we get to experience the living word of Jesus Christ, the good news, through the written word that he has given us. In this passage, you'll find one of the most iconic verses about God's word in scripture, and it says this. It's Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And every time we open the word of God, we have an intimate look at the person and character 
of God himself. That's good news for us. I feel bad for the Israelites. Right? On one hand, they didn't have bacon. Can you imagine? But seriously, they didn't have the full canon of Scripture. They didn't know all of the facts about who Jesus would be. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside them to pray on their behalf when they had nothing to offer. But we do. And the way we respond to the good news of God will determine our ability to experience rest here and for eternity. And the word of God is sharp, and it's going to know our intentions. We can't hide it will be able to discern whether or not we have believed. Our hearts are constantly going to be longing for rest. We'll seek it in food, friendships, work, vacation, sleep, family activities, you name it. And God has given us those things to experience some really good things in this earth. And in a lot of ways, we can even come to know more of who he is and his goodness through some of those. But ultimately, I love how Augustine says this in this famous quote. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Rest is not so much a place or a state of being. It's a person. In other words, the source of rest is God, and the means of rest, the way we experience it, is through humble faith in him. How do we rest in a restless world? It's not through sleep. Everybody sleeps. It's not through vacation, especially with toddlers. That's miserable. It's not restful at all. It's through finding our identity in the creator of the universe and knowing that our whole lives hinge on who he is and what he's done. No matter our circumstances, this rest is available to us when our faith is in Jesus for now and for eternity. I want to end in a tough way for me, but by sharing three just quick stories of some times in my life that I have experienced what I can only describe as divine rest. I hope in some way you will identify with, with some of these. By the way, I'm not the prototype for how to rest. Uh, and I fail a thousand more times than I actually get to experience this. But over on the far left, you'll see a picture of me and these six other guys. And this is from 2018 when I was enrolled at Dallas Theological Seminary. And I had to drive down to Dallas for a week-long class. And I had every intention to eat good barbecue, get through the class, and get home. That was my goal, if I'm being honest. And instead, I left a changed and broken man. My wife and I constantly refer back to this moment as a part of my spiritual story because it was one of the first times that I had been fully known by another human. It was a lot like a condensed step study, if some of you have been through that here with ER and have ex or CR and have experienced it. Uh, but I got to just open up and share some of the deepest, darkest things that I kind of told myself I would never share with anyone. And to be fully known to my wife, to this small group, to a small group back home, to my mentor, and ultimately by Jesus and to experience rest in brokenness. And I'm so glad that I got to go through that. This middle one is a picture from about six months later when we were in the midst of a busy season. Alex and I had just come off our first sabbatical and I started to experience just physical exhaustion and collapse. 
Well, we went on sabbatical, and I slept the first 16 days, 17 hours a day. I could not get out of bed. I had just been going, 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 and did not know how to stop. And got to the point where we were at Chill Out with FSM, and my heart began to palpitate about two days before that. I went to a cardiologist. I thought I was going to die. I couldn't catch my breath, started having anxiety attacks. And I had to just surrender my own physical life to the Lord, seeing that my anxiety and fear had overtaken my body, and I was trying to be all things to all people at all times for no good reason, just except my own pride. And I experienced this release and this rest of God being the creator and sustainer of my life. This is a picture from four weeks ago when my wife and I planted a tree in memory of our uh, unborn son who we lost at 17 weeks through miscarriage. And um, it's a pain that I never thought I would experience, never want to experience. Um, The grief is so heavy. And yet, at the same time, and I don't say this lightly, Our hope in Jesus has been just as deep, even deeper in this season. And not in a way that cancels out the pain, because the pain is still there greatly as we think of all the loss of what could have been or what should have been. But in a way where Jesus has come alongside us and sat there in it with us and wrapped his arms around us in a very loving and intentional and caring way to the point that we don't deserve. And grief is exhausting. I'm sure some of you know that and have experienced it. Like, I don't even have the the emotions to be emotional. I don't have the energy to do certain things. I'm just exhausted all the time. But as we've gone through this, I've realized a couple of things. One, I don't know how people get through pain on this earth without a hope in Jesus. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Because most days we've woken up in the last four weeks, that's all we've had to cling to. And second, I've realized the value of the body of Christ. I've heard horror stories of pastors who, when they need care, don't actually get it, and that is not our story. You guys have been so faithful to love us well in the last couple weeks. Our community group has showed up huge. God has been so kind to put certain people in our lives that we just needed to sit with and be with as we've grieved and as we have mourned. But the most comforting fact in all of this is that I have just been reminded every day that God can identify with us, that he gave up his son so that I could meet mine, and that is hope, amen? And that is true rest that I cannot explain with words, even if I tried. That the goodness of who Jesus is brings us hope and peace in the midst of tragedy that we can't explain. And I think these three verses probably sum it up about as well as anyone could. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, these have been true for us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Y'all, Jesus is good. And the hope he brings is real. And it is ever present in times of need. If you are grieving, do not grieve alone. We are a church who loves you. And we want to wrap our arms around you. You may just have to let us know so we can step in. I have experienced the goodness of God and the hope and the rest that he brings, even in the midst of tragedy. 
And we're gonna go to the Lord together as a body this morning. I've asked Houston, my friend and teammate, to take us there as we observe communion. Church, we are going to take um, the opportunity to remember and to respond to God's love for us this morning. Where the power of sin has offered us weariness in a troubled world, Jesus Christ, the one who has defeated sin and death forever, offers us rest. For us, he died on a cross, bearing the weight of our sins so that we can enter back into an intimate and constant and restful relationship with God. So church, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance. Now, let's spend some time praying and singing in response to what our God has done for us.
words with me. Sing, I will rest. Well, let's sing it. I will rest in your promises, my confidence is your faithfulness. I will rest in your promises, my confidence is your faithfulness. Come on. I will
fellowship. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As we leave this place, let us go and live lives of greater worship and find our rest in him. If you need prayer this morning, our prayer room is open for you. We would love to pray with you and for you. Fellowship, we love you. We will see you next week. You are dismissed.